Okay, so this morning our text is uh, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. So, uh, just to kind of give an overview a little bit, uh, it seems like uh, the topic for this would be uh, uh, living for God. And uh, so, uh, a little kind of a summary. Before Christ came into our life, we were dead in our sins. Not physically dead, but dead spiritually. And uh, when Christ came into our life, we are uh, uh, dead to our old self. That is, uh, there again, uh, spiritually, our old self was put to death. And then then our our new self, uh, we took on a new self and alive in Christ. And the Bible verse that kind of summarizes that. Is uh, quite well as Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a, a new creature or a new creation. Is what a lot of translations say. Therefore, if anybody be in Christ, we're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we we become a new person uh, when we put our trust in Jesus as the one who died for our sins. So <clears throat> I've got this kind of divided up into into uh, several sections. The uh, first section, verses 1 and 2, is Christ suffered for us. And then section uh, 2 is, uh, is, uh, is the past life. That describes the past life. And then section 3, the last section, describes the new life. That's... Uh, Okay, that's uh, the last section is verses 6 through 11. So, I think uh, we'll, I'll just re- read to a section at a time and then comment on that and go through like that. And uh, if you have some questions or comments after each section, well, we'll listen to that. Okay, so the first one, uh, verses 1 and 2, for as much as Christ then, for, for as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh in the lust of men, but to the uh, to the will of God. So it's it's kind of a little bit. Maybe confusing there because Christ suffered for us in the flesh, but he really, <clears throat> what he did, really did, he, he suffered uh, in many ways just in regular life, but he also suffered for our sins. He took the penalty of our sin upon himself, and that was the greatest suffering that anybody could ever do. The sins of the whole world were upon him. And in fact, as you recall, when that, when that occurred, the, there was darkness over the earth for three hours. Apparently, as God turned his back upon uh, sin, he could not look upon sin. And he, in that period of time, Jesus was separated from God for the sins of the whole world for those three hours, or maybe more, but at least three hours. <clears throat> and then uh, verse 2, that, no, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. Now this is, appears to be talking about uh, the people, that's us, for whom, for whom Christ died. 
that we no longer have to live uh, in the framework of a lost man or the lust of man. So, uh, to kind of summarize that in my own words here, so, so death to the life of sin uh, or life lived for self, well, you, you are dead and you, your life is hid with Christ and God. That's Colossians 3.3. 3. A little bit paraphrased there. And then uh, uh, Galatians 2, 2.20, I, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless we live. We're, we, we live. Uh, we are crucified with Christ, yet not I, but Christ lived within me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So we've transferred from uh, a, a, a life of death, spiritually speaking, to a, a real life uh, in Christ. And then uh, that's verse 1 and verse 2. It was God's plan. Uh, it is God's plan that people should live in the will of will of God. And uh, so, if we follow up, we need to confess it. <laughs> and I have a something I remember from working at the shipyard a number of years ago. We uh, we tested out the ships, the uh, uh, communication systems on the ships. And uh, part of that was we'd be testing them while the ship was in port to see if we got things pretty well going before we took it out on a sea trial. And so we had this uh, test van, which I'd call a million-dollar van, but now it's probably a $10 million van. And uh, so I, uh, one of us had to man that van and send the signals, and then other people would be on the ship and receiving the signals and, and testing the equipment and so forth. Well, anyway... The, this uh, uh, van had a uh, little uh, gas-operated electrical generator which operated all the, the equipment on the van and sent the signals. And so uh, most of the people I worked with uh, were ex-military and they had their own uh, system of, of uh, comics, comedy. So uh, whenever you were in trouble, they'd, they'd harass you and so forth. And I was having trouble keeping this uh, generator going on the, on the van the, that generated the electricity to run the test equipment. And so when I got back, well, they harassed me more. And so I said, well, we've got a million-dollar van and a, and a two-bit generator. <laughs> and uh, so then immediately I, the Lord brought to my mind uh, James 1.20, the, uh, the uh, let's see, how's that going on? <laughs> the wrath of man works not the not the righteousness of God. And I thought, well, here are these ten male men, and I need to admit that I was kind of uh, shooting off my mouth the way that I shouldn't have been. So I, when the Lord brought that verse to my mind, I thought, well, I need to confess my wrongdoing there. And so I said, well, I shouldn't have said that because... Uh, uh, I shouldn't have shown my temper on that, and I I, I, I could see also that if I if I would have uh, not confessed up on that, why uh, they would say, well, there's Percy, he's uh, just a, he's a, just a fake like all these other Christians I know, and, and so they sort of write me off, which didn't wouldn't hurt me, but just for the testimony, 
But anyway, that was uh, <coughs> sort of the uh, the whole life showing up, I guess, at that point. So anyway, that uh, just a little story there on that. Okay, then the next part. Any questions on that part? First two parts there, first two verses. Or any comments? Okay, so we'll go on to the next part. Let's see, that next part is uh, verses 3 through... Three through five, just three to three to five, three, four, and five. Okay, so uh, that reads in the King James for for the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, re- uh, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the. Uh, same excessive right, speaking evil of you. Who shall, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Okay, so this section is the past, describing the past life. So, uh, our past life was lived in sin, and that means we were spiritually dead, not physically, but spiritually dead. And so, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is kind of a description of that. I was figuring out some way to have these uh, scripture verses I could get my hand on. Most of them I've got memorized. I figured I couldn't think of them at the time. Okay. Okay, Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3. Uh, and you had to quicken or made alive where we're dead in trespasses and sins. So there we are. We're spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, or that means the manner of living, or the way we lived, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by, by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So, uh, when we give our life to Jesus, then we're, our life has changed, or it should be, you know, and then we sometimes fall back like the test ban thing, and we have to confess that. So, But that's important, too, that if we, you know, First John 1, 9 says we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to be ready to, to confess if we foul up, uh, and uh, so that God can forgive us and if it's before uh, sin against people we need to confess it to them too okay so then uh, also Titus 3 3 through 7 is a important cross reference there Okay, Titus 3, 3 through 7 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
which you shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, it's the grace of God which uh, by which we're justified. Grace is uh, one definition I kind of seems to be from the Scripture is that grace is, is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So the divine influence upon the heart. So we need, after we give our heart to Jesus, we need to have divine help to live for Him. And we still, when we sin, then we need to confess it. Okay. And on these uh, these different sins that are named there in uh, Ephesians, um, maybe just some other uh, definitions or some descriptions like lasciviousness is uh, characterized by license and lawlessness and uh, and lewdness and lust. That's the especially longing especially for what is forbidden and uh, sensual delight and then excessive wine that's self-explanatory revelings that's uh, carousal and sort of everything goes that's not good either banquetings uh, that's a, a drinking bout or carousal and abominable idolatries that's uh Abominable is an unlawful thing, and uh, idolatry is uh, image worship, or literally or figuratively. I, I guess, you know, in the old days they had wooden idols and different kind of idols. I guess in these days we can have idols, something that other than God that we kind of, kind of hold in high esteem, maybe riches or success or something like that. Okay. So some of the... uh, Here's an interesting thing. Some of the non-believing Jews who were supportive of Paul when he was was against the Christians, uh, uh, now now he was against uh, uh, against Paul, and that's Acts 13, 44 and 45. Let's take a look at that right quick. Okay, Acts 13, 34 and 35. No, no, 40, 44 and 45. Okay. Uh, and the next day, Sabbath day, came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. And this is when Paul was preaching and they were uh, non-believing Jews and then Jews that were believers or became believers. And uh, so then verse 45, and when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Now these were apparently the non-believing Jews, but there were and uh, but there were also Jewish people there that believed. And, okay, and but when the Jews saw the multitude, they were filled with envy and spoke against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. So uh, <clears throat> there was some opposition uh, to what Paul was preaching. Okay, so, uh, and then on verse 5, uh, God will judge the living and the dead, Second Timothy 
four one. Now this uh, this living and dead these terms uh, are sometimes figuratively and sometimes uh, literally. So that's kind of uh, define that from the context. So God will judge the living and the dead. And uh, verse 2 Timothy 4.1 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who shall judge the quick and the dead as his, as his appearing, at his appearing in his kingdom. So this, this appears to be uh, when Christ returns, he will judge the living, the people who are living and the people that, uh, that uh, have died. So that's, uh, that's part of the, uh, dealing with the past life. Okay, then uh, on verses uh, 6 through 11, <coughs> this is describing the, the new life in Christ. And it's a little bit mixed in together, but uh, anyway, uh, let's read verse 6. There's these things marked out this my plan of finding the scriptures is not, not working out too great here. Okay, so anyway, well let's see, were there any questions that, or comments you have on that on verses uh, three through five? Anybody any additions? Okay. Okay, so verses uh, six through eleven is describing the new life. Okay, starting with 6, reading the scripture of King James, for, for for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live, live according to God in the Spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity, or uh, the word charity is uh, uh, usually translated love, and that's the uh, word agape, which means the, the true love, which uh, uh, is a selfless kind of love. Okay, and then verse nine: Use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak for speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that's <coughs> sort of describing the the new life. So then, back to uh, <clears throat> to Ephesians chapter two, verse four through ten. Okay. Okay, that's going on. We read Ephesians. 2, 1, to 3. Now this is 4 through 10. <clears throat> and this is in connection with uh, 
with verse uh, verse eight. No, excuse me, ver- verse six. Okay. Uh, so Ephesians two, verse four through ten. But God, who is rich in mercy for His great love, for when He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ, that in the age to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and the kindness in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. <clears throat> and then uh, the definition of uh, love, and I'm uh, <clears throat> going to read this from uh, the Phillips translation. Has anybody ever seen the Phillips translation? A few people, okay. Anyway, I, I think that's the one that makes it uh, clearest on what how love is defined. This is uh, just verses, uh, uh, let's see, chapter 13, I mean, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, cha- uh, verses 1 through 8. Okay, so here's the Philip's text. If I speak with the eloquence of men and of angels, but have no love, I become no more than blaring brass or crashing cymbal. If I have the gift of of foretelling the future and holding my mind not only all human knowledge but the very secrets of God and if I also have that absolute faith which can move can move mountains but have no love I amount to nothing at all if I, despi- if I dispose of all that I possess yes even if I give my own body to be burned but have no love I achieve precisely nothing this love of which I speak is slow to lose patience it looks for a way of being constructive. It is not possessive. It is neither anxious to impress nor does it cherish inflated ideas of its own importance. Love has good manners and does not pursue selfish advantage. It is not touchy. It does not keep account of evil or gloat over the wickedness of other people. On the contrary, it is glad with all good men when truth prevails. <clears throat> Love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope and can outlast anything. It is in fact the one thing that still stands when all else has fallen. So, <clears throat> love, uh, uh, love has uh, the characteristic of uh, uh, covering uh, covering sin that is uh, uh, I think the way it covers sin is if uh, if we're talking to somebody and they say something that we don't like or we think that uh, they meant something sort of uh, uncomplimentary and maybe they didn't mean it that way but it just sounded that way so if we uh, uh, we assume that uh, I mean we, we don't hold something against them we might ask them what they meant but, but if we just thought well that we're saying something that they didn't realize what we're saying. We love covers can cover that that uh, 
sin if, if it really is that. So, uh, and <clears throat> I, th I think of, uh, here's another personal thing with, I think I shared this with Jim the other day, that uh, uh, <clears throat> if Carol, <clears throat> my wife Carol, who's passed on now, if she would say something uh, and I would take it the wrong way or I was kind of in a bad humor or something and I, I was thinking she was uh, uh, saying something to, to harass me and I'd, I'd, say, I'd be a jerk and say something back to her to, to counteract that. But uh, what would happen is if I do that, my thought would be, well, if she wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have said this. But that doesn't, that doesn't work. That doesn't count. That's no good. I'm responsible for my own sin. So if I, if I act like a jerk, then I need to uh, confess that. And, uh, and the way I would... I don't, I don't know how many times it happened this way, but if I, if I got in a situation and then uh, I hadn't confessed it to, to God and her... And I tried to go to sleep at night. I couldn't sleep. And so then I'd have to apologize to her for my being a jerk. And, of course, you don't say, well, but the reason I did that is because of what you said. You know? And that, that just cancels everything out. You can't say that. You've got, you've got to uh, be responsible for your own sin and not hold them responsible uh, for what they might have said. And... Uh, so anyway, that's that's where I, I see that uh, uh, love covers a multitude of sin because I think in James 5.20 it also speaks about... Uh, let's see if I can get that right. I should know that in my heart. But, uh, James 5.20 says, Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and so hide a multitude of sins. Well, I think that's not saying that uh, you're going to you're going to cancel out any of your sins by uh, by this uh, uh, maneuver, by this good work. But uh, uh, a multitude of sin is is uh, if you if you lead somebody to put their faith in Christ, then uh, uh, that's what uh, has hidden a multitude of sins in that case. A little bit different application of the uh, hiding a multitude of sins. <clears throat> okay, let's see. Okay, and then verse 10, uh, which uh, well, verse 9 and 10 on hospitality. Uh, verse 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging. Uh, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So <clears throat> it seems like hospitality is, is the idea of being friendly and, and uh, gracious to other people and by taking on guests, you know. And uh, so that's a... Uh, another expression of the, of the new life is being hospi hospitable and friendly to other people. And then <clears throat> on verse uh, okay there's a few cross references we need to get on that I guess. 
um, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Okay, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, that doesn't mean, uh, well, okay, verse verse 4, then look not every man on his own things, but every man on, also on the things of others. You might say, well, think, well, that means uh, 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 it sounds like you're coveting something that somebody has. It's, it doesn't mean... Uh, look when it says look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others the uh, the life he lives and the, the things he does that you appreciate those things uh, uh, that he's doing and you acknowledge that so uh, and then reading on through uh, in Philippians 2 5 it says let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in, found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient under the death of the cross. So uh, we are uh, looking to Jesus as an example of uh, uh, someone who uh, lives for uh, the benefit of others and uh, and appreciates what others do, not just uh, a head trip for himself. So uh, uh, another another reference on that is Matthew five on that general idea of Matthew five thirty eight thirty nine and forty four. And I think probably everybody knows this says, Ye have heard that it has been said, An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whatsoever uh, shall sm- whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then verse 44, But I, I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. So, uh, this probably uh, hits on the idea of uh, not holding a grudge against anybody that might do something against you, because that can wreck a lot of lives. That can wreck our own life if we if we hold a grudge against somebody, and uh, and we don't we gotta be careful. We don't say, well, you know, if in our own mind, well, if they apologize for what they did, then I'd forgive them. No. Uh, we need to forgive anyway, even if they don't uh, ask for it or, or acknowledge it. And we, we've got to make sure they don't hold a grudge, because that really can mess us up if we hold a grudge against somebody else. Okay. Then <clears throat> verse 9, which says, Show hospitality to others. Uh, uh, that's Hebrews 13, 2. Okay, uh, Hebrews 13, actually 1 and 2. Let brotherly love continue. 
Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So uh, uh, be hospitable and courteous to other people. And uh, and that's through brotherly love. <coughs> Okay, and then Romans 12, 6 through 8 is another one on uh, exercising gifts. differing according to the grace that is given to us whereby whether prophecy let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith our ministry let us wait on our ministering and minister to minister I mean to serve other people or he that teaches on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation he that gives let him do it with simplicity in other words don't make a big thing out of something you give or give yourself to other people you give it because you love them and, and that's what God wants us to do and he that rules with diligence he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness so uh, that's exercising the gifts that God has given us and we all have certain uh, things that seem to be our thing to do and we need to practice that in, in serving other people And then on the, the, the last verse here, which says, uh, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Okay, now the oracles of God, uh, that's the utterings of God, or the, the Word of God. And it's kind of interesting, uh, because uh, John 1, one says, uh, And the Word was made flesh, and that Word... It's capitalized. That's oracle. Oracles. That's the uh, the word who made flesh. Jesus Christ was the, the word of God in the flesh. And uh, and another interesting uh, uh, scripture on this is Romans uh, chapter three, verse one through three. And this is about uh, the uh, oracles of God. And this, this is kind of interesting. <clears throat> what advantage then has the, uh, has the Jew of what profit is there of circumcision or the, the Jewish race, you know, or the Jewish uh, the, uh, Israel? Much ever way chiefly, or that word chiefly is the same as proton or the basis of everything uh, much every way uh, chiefly because that under them were committed the oracles of God so when you think about this that way back thousands of years ago God gave the word of his word his revelation of himself to the Jewish nation to Israel and they have preserved it through the, through the thousands of years 
And so, no matter how we think of the Jews, we can be thankful that they have preserved the, the oracles of God and the references, or the words of God, uh, pretty well intact. Now, there's some difference in the, some of the opinions on what's what should be the the official text, I guess. But as far as I can, as far as I know, it's pretty well pretty well defined, and we have that to thank God for His choosing that those people, the nation of Israel, to preserve His word and His revelation through all these years. And uh, I don't know how you know how to be more thankful than than, than uh, possible for what God has done through the Jewish people. And uh, <clears throat> okay. So anyway, uh, any any comments on that? Okay. Um, I think everybody in this room has heard at least once, maybe ten times. I don't. I <clears throat> do a lot of good for people. Um, I'm not really a bad man. I'm a, a doer of good. My mother used to say, "Don't call me a sinner. Look what I did for those people down at Skid Row." <laughs> so we've all heard that, I'm sure. I want to know: Is that agape? that we're dealing with and is a godly possible sacrificial love without being born again? That's a good question. Anybody else have any opinion on that? I mean, I think the, the kind of the definition of agape love uh, that I've kind of, I'm not sure that this is strong concordance or anything, but, but the agape love is when you do something for somebody else without expecting anything in return and the uh, your uh, your attitude toward that person is not uh, your, the attitude of love and the, what you're doing to help them is not dependent upon uh, their response, and you don't and you don't uh, require that uh, the right response. You do something good for somebody, and maybe they don't even uh, acknowledge it, but but they don't they don't give you a, a high you know, a, 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 uh, attaboy that, that's, you can't depend upon that to continue that love toward the person so the, the real love is when you do something for others without expecting anything in return okay Willie I, uh, I like the question and I tell, told myself the, the, the most loving thing that I can do to a person is uh, tell them the gospel you can you can give medicine and they can get better, but they're still going to die. Yeah. Um, so and I I'll, I'll always remember talking to to Moroccan after the earthquake, who asked me, "Why are you doing this?" And, I, and it was easy for me to say, "I, I really don't want to be here because I really didn't. I don't really like you people. I really don't." I'm here because God wants me to be and I, and I wasn't exaggerating. I wasn't trying to be funny, but it was very true. I was there because that's God's work. God puts people in people who follow God find themselves in situations that 
our Lord. You can only attribute to God. And in our highest, I mean, we don't care if people really do. We get excited when they get better, but we know they're going to die. So we're not really excited when somebody gets a house or, or they, <coughs> they get some penicillin so they, they recuperate from pneumonia. That's all good, but it doesn't thrill our souls like a person who bows their knees to Jesus. That's what really keeps us uh, attracted to, to life. You're not, do, you're not doing that for five years or more just because of all the get, uh, attaboys you're getting from them. You're doing that because you love God and, yeah, and, and you want to reach them for Christ. But even that, you know, is temporary. Eventually they won't like you. Okay, Nikki? So I feel like I live in Mormon Mecca. And the nicest, kindest, most generous people I have encountered in the whole town are the Mormons. And, you know, you asked, oh, well, I did, I did something good for you. Those are the people I would prefer to work with because of their generous spirit, their soft-spoken kindness that I have experienced. But at the same time, you have to go back to what is their ulterior motive, you know. Um, they speak the same lingo as I do. For a long time, I didn't recognize that I was, you know, this is what I was. But their ulterior motive is good work. Mm-hmm. And no. so quite often, um, I feel like, even myself, I do something to get praise. <laughs> What's my ulterior motive? Is that a godly love? Is that the love of Christ? I do this for nothing except to serve my Jesus. Yeah. You know? Well, that's that's the real motive, and uh, and the real real agape love is doing something for somebody, not expecting mm-hmm. a praise or something from them. So that's important. Okay. There's lust, human love. There's also brotherly love. And a lot of people do it out of brotherly love, just because you know it's another human being; they're the same as me. Um, and they don't understand agape, which is a, a completely different thing. It comes through us from God. You know, we're a channel of agape love. And as they said, there's no you're nothing to <coughs> for nothing back. The price was paid by Christ. You know. We, we can't even reach that level of love. But there are a lot of good brotherly love people. Phileo, Philadelphia. Yeah, you know, you know, brotherly love is phileo. And I, let's see, Greg, you might want to have some comments on this. There's probably a close relationship sometimes between agape and phileo. I, I don't know what the mix is there, but uh, but the motive, uh, if, if there's a, the right motive doing it because you love God and you want to serve Him and, and honor honor Him in what you do. There's probably a little bit of that in both of those kinds of love. Do you have any comments on that, Greg, on the, on the two words, how they interface? Okay. 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 Uh, any other comments? Okay, here's one back here, Doug. You know, I think that um, 
if, if we love out of a pure heart and a pure motivation, that God is a rewarder of that. And when you do that at that in level of integrity, that God's joy is his reward for that. And it will flood you and fill you, and it can't help but be seen. Well, that's right. So you gain from that. I mean, you you uh, uh, have the approval of God and and so forth, but uh, you don't necessarily need the approval of man. But uh, you're doing it, you know, to, well, for their benefit, but also to bring honor to Jesus and and the fact that you belong to Him. Any comments? Okay. First, just a, yeah. okay. Just a quick connection uh, with this morning in Greg's uh, Exodus class, you know, I talked about suffering and perhaps of being here in First Peter is the connection with suffering to agape love, the connection with suffering to our response. The uh, This is all through the scriptures. This is this is an overarching theme everywhere we go in the scriptures. Is we, we, in our culture, see suffering as such a horrible, bad thing, particularly suffering for doing good, suffering for doing oh, the right. right thing. And you know, this is outrageous. And, you know, the, the question about, you know, the Mormons and, you know, there's there are non-Christians in the United States that do good works way beyond Christians. Yeah. I mean, it, it, what we're up against is, is um, you know, more and more, I think, is, is what Willie was saying. If you're going to truly address the sin problem, see, that's the problem. Not, not the health problem, not the housing problem. Not the food problem, but the sin problem. You know, I think we're going to encounter a lot more suffering than we have for many generations here in the United States. You know, moving yeah. forward, and, and I think that's what Peter's getting at is is what is it that's going? What what is this love spoken of here that actually covers sin? What's well, the love of Christ? He 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 suffered in the flesh for, on our behalf. Yeah, that's right. And there's nothing. We can do to earn that uh, uh, grace of God. I mean, that's that's a gift from God. So, well, yeah, as you said, true love then is not necessarily warm, fuzzy, fill all your needs. It is addressing the truth, which is sin, which that is the greatest loving thing to do, but it doesn't appear to be so. No, the biggest biggest push today is for tolerance. Just just go with the flow, overlook them. Yeah. Okay, well, <clears throat> just kind of a summary statement here. Uh, so we pass from death to life as we trust in Jesus as the one who died for our sins. That's a gift from God. That's nothing. We have nothing to contribute to our salvation. And then the key to living a life that that honors God is reading the Bible, memorizing Bible key Bible verses, and applying the uh, of the Bible to our lives. So that's just kind of the thought I'd like to leave with you. That uh, uh, that's what that's what we do. And there again, it's not for reward; it's because Jesus lives within our hearts, and we want to uh, reflect that His life through ours even though we foul up many times but then that we may need to confess that and, 
and deal with that as it comes. Okay, why don't we have a word of prayer? Lord, we just thank you that that uh, Jesus died for us and, and gave us a, a real life, uh, brought us from death to life to live for for Him. And we just pray that you'll help us to live lives that will honor uh, you and Jesus that, we, that others might come to know Him. And we just commit ourselves to you uh, and help us to uh, share your word with other people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Why don't we stand?